0: you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 111? We want to uh, keep Arlene Stone um, in your prayers. She's uh, has some blood clots in her legs and in her lungs. Um, so just prayer for healing for her um, right now, um, and for Ron, of course. Um, just that the Lord would be with them, give them peace and comfort in this time. Um, and then also for Jim Lawson, um, he's been dealing ongoing pain, um, just joints, knees, all over his body, really, and so not able to be here tonight because of some of that pain. So um, pray for those things. But um, let's read Psalm 111, and then we'll pray for those. Verse 1, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food to those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do lift up Arlene Stone to you, Lord, with these blood clots. Lord, we pray that you would touch and heal her body. We pray for comfort. Lord, from the pain. We pray for restoration in her. We pray that you would give her rest, Lord. We pray for Ron that you would equip him to take care of his wife right now. We pray for Christina, who's out of the state, that um, you would comfort her that she might be able to come back and just help with uh, Arlene, Lord. But we just lift them up to you that you would be with them, Lord, um, and come alongside them to help, Lord. We also pray for Jim Lawson tonight, Lord. We pray. Uh, as we've been praying just for a healing in his body, Lord, we pray for strength in his joints. Um, he's worked so hard in his job that he's had, Lord, and, and it tells in his body. And, but Lord, you know and you can heal, and, and we pray that you would give him comfort, Lord, tonight, that you, by your spirit, would speak to him, that you would be with him, Lord, and that you would just strengthen him for the life that he has to live, Lord. Lord, we also pray for tonight for your word, Lord. We know that you've promised that it will go forth and accomplish that for which you sent it, that it will not return void, Lord, and we pray for that in our hearts, Lord. We pray for the reminder of your great and wonderful works that you've done, for for the reminder of your very nature of who you are and what you've done for us, Lord, and that that as this portion of scripture says, would stir us up for a greater fear of you, greater wisdom, Lord, good understanding that we would be people who worship you as Mariel prayed in spirit and truth, Lord, and serve you in obedience and honesty and with our whole heart, as the psalmist says, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us tonight in your name. Amen. Psalm 111. I promise I have not been doing this on purpose. This is yet another acrostic psalm. Um, so uh, I had read through this and felt the Lord wanted me to teach on this tonight. And then as I was studying it, I found out that it was yet another one of these acrostic psalms. So starts with you know different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If you notice, there's only 10 verses. There's 22 Hebrew Uh, letters in the alphabet, so it's broken up a little differently. That first phrase, praise the Lord, is not part of that whole thing. It's almost like the title um, of this psalm, but it's every phrase after that all the way down to verse uh, 8. So there's two phrases in each verse start with a different letter, and then in verse 9 and verse 10, uh, there's three phrases each, so that makes up the 22 there. Um, it's one of, the, one of the few of these psalms that has all of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet and um, doesn't skip any there. Um, this is also the very first of what's called the Hallelujah Psalms. Um, and uh, I believe there's about 10 of them or so. Uh, but they're psalms that either start with or repeat over and over or end with that phrase, praise the Lord, which in Hebrew is literally hallelujah. Um, and so... This is a psalm that's just that. It's a call to praise and worship. It's a call to to celebrate the Lord, who he is, and what he's done for us. And that's what the psalmist starts out with here. He says, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The psalmist is declaring his devotion to the Lord, his whole heart, praising him. That first praise in the title there means to boast in. Let's boast in the Lord. Let's, let's talk about all of his goodness, the wonderful things he's done. Let's, let's be proud of him like a child's proud of his dad. You know, my dad's better than your dad. He can, he can do that. He's the strongest man I know. That's that idea, boasting, praising in the Lord, praising him. But this second word praise here is a different one, and that means to confess, to acknowledge, to praise him. So that's then saying as I were gathered together in the assembly, in the congregation, in the private small group is that word assembly, and in the public gathering, the congregation, I'm going to confess that he is my God with my whole heart. I'm going to praise him. It's this utmost devotion It's the whole being. That's what God desires of us. Our praise, our worship, our whole lives with our whole heart to have fellowship with one another and praise to the Lord and just a, a true recognition. It's like the same idea we have with baptism in the church, the believer's baptism, gathering together and acknowledging before one another, I've placed my faith in Christ. I am dying to my old life with him, uh, uh, identifying with his crucifixion and his burial and, and burying my, my old life and now being resurrected to a new life with him, uh, recognizing, acknowledging that he is our God. Uh, that is what we're called to with our whole heart. Albert Barnes, he, he defines this Phrase here, praising him with the whole heart. He says, with undivided attentions, uh, or affection, sorry, holding back nothing. I will allow nothing to be in my heart that would interfere with the fullness of praise. No coldness, no dividedness of affection, no love for other things that would deaden my love for God. No suspicion respecting him that could chill my ardor or my passion, no unbelief that would drag me down to earth while the language of my lips ascended to God. This is abandoning ourselves to him. That's what he desires. And we all know and confess we fall short of that, right? I mean, it's just like what Paul writes about in Romans that he, he, he what he wants to do and knows he should do, he doesn't do. And what he knows he shouldn't do, he does do. Right. We all have that. And yet the Lord still calls us to that and demands that we follow him. And thankfully, as believers, he's given us his Holy Spirit to do the work of transformation in our lives, where he takes those little pieces of our hearts, of our lives and and says, give this to me, surrender this part to me. And then we in obedience and worship and praise to him, say, yes, Lord. This is yours, and we repent, or we we give it up to Him, and and we we devote ourselves to Him. But that's what the psalmist is saying. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart, in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. And then he moves on, and he says in verse two, the works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. Uh, that word uh, works uh, is uh, just that. It's 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 a. a a thing that's accomplished, what, what God has done. And it says the works of the Lord are great. It means great in size and importance. So everything that the Lord has done, even the things that we deem as small, because they're done by the Lord, they're great in size and importance. There's no small thing that happens in our lives that the Lord has done for us that isn't significant because of who he is and his purposes and his will in our lives. The works of the Lord are great. Now, there are great and mighty and awesome things. That's what the scriptures talk about from Genesis 1, creating the universe out of nothing, creating all the things we see on the earth, creating mankind, forming him out of the dust, breathing his spirit into man to make him into a living being, creating woman out of the man, all of those things, bringing about uh, from, from uh, a city and a nation of idolaters, bringing Abraham out of that group and calling him to be his man uh, and, and to, to calling him to go and be devoted to him and follow him so that he can make a great nation out of Abraham. The works that he did in the nation of Israel, we know in, in Egypt, setting them free from bondage there, taking them through the wilderness to the promised land, sustaining them in their rebellion against him, even in the, prom, in the wilderness, before going into the promised land. The, all the works that he's done, of course, leading up to the greatest work of all, which is the work of Christ on the cross and the redemption that he's accomplished for those of us who've placed our faith in him. All the works of the Lord are great. They're great. Studied by all who have pleasure in them. That's a calling for us to study the word of God, to be in his word. Do you love the Lord? Do you love what he's done for you? Then we are called to look into all the things that he's done for us. It it goes hand in hand. With, with, with recognizing and understanding God's grace and forgiveness in our lives. And the things that he's done for us is then to go back to the scripture and say, Lord, I see all these things that you've done for me, for us. I see the things you've done for, for all the people throughout scriptures. I can look around and see all the things that you've done for people in my life. All the things studied by all who have pleasure in them. Psalm 143 verse 5 It says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. That's what we're called to, to remember the days of old, remember the things that he's done for us, both in the scriptures and in our lives, meditating on his works, chewing through it, uh, uh, dwelling on it, thinking about it, having it on our hearts and our minds, on all of his works, musing on the works of his hands taking pleasure in studying what he's done and who he is. That's our praise to him, our worship to him. Think about that. Our time spent in the word is worship to the Lord. It's praise to him because it shows our devotion. Dan talks about all the time uh, about the love letter that he got from Tracy when she was overseas uh, when they were, were first together. And uh, relating that to just this desire to know what, what Tracy uh, had for him, the things she said to him. And that same thing for us as believers is the scriptures. It's the Lord's love letter to us. And so as we spend time in it, we're showing the Lord our devotion to him, our worship towards him, our praise to him. If we have a, a ho-hum attitude about the word of God, we need to question our devotion to him. We need to question, am I really dedicated, devoted? Have I given my whole heart to him if the word is just a boring task that I have? It's beautiful. When we recognize who God is, see, it comes down to our acknowledgement of God's character, who he is and what he's done. When we truly understand that, we're never going to get to the bottom of it, but when we, we understand our relationship with him, then The word opens up into something living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing to soul and spirit, joint and marrow, right? That's the power of God in his word, is in that relationship we have, and then we come to it and it becomes a thing of blessing, uh, of praise and worship to him, studied by all who have pleasure in them. Verse 3, it says, his work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness is endures forever. This word works means acts in history, defined, marked events. Uh, His work is honorable. All the things that we can look back on and see that he's done are honorable. The things that we read about because of his character and his nature and his will being perfect and his sovereignty and his knowledge of all things, what he has chosen to done uh, to do is honorable. It's glorious. That word glorious mean, or honorable mean, is, means to be splendid or majestic. It's awe-inspiring. It's good. It's right. And then that word glorious means to reflect the goodness of God's nature. Glorious. To show his glory. So as we look back again on all of these things we done, w- he's done, we see glimpses of his nature. Of who he is, what he's done. We see his heart and it's throughout the scriptures. I didn't have time tonight to print it off and I've gone through it before with you guys. Maybe next week or the week after I'll see if I can get it printed off and, and, and bring it. But there's a list that I had that I got out of a book when I was teaching the high schoolers. And it basically goes through all the books in the Bible and says, Jesus is this described in this book of the Bible. And it shows his relationship to us and what he's done and and what all the different books in the scriptures, Old Testament through New Testament, declare about Jesus. This book declares his character and his nature for us. And to know him, we need to be in his word, to be in it, to, to get to know who he is and recognize what he's done is glorious, splendid, majestic, and it reflects his goodness of his character and his nature. It reflects how beautiful and awesome he is. And then it says, and his righteousness endures forever. He doesn't change. He's righteous from the beginning to the end. From, from, from start to finish in the scriptures, we see his righteousness stands forever. The standard of his righteousness is enduring, doesn't change, because it's based in his character and his nature. He does not change. It's in him and in his will. And so all of these things, what he does, it endures forever. And we can say that as we see him, as we experience him, as we, we walk with him. We can say what he's done, honorable, glorious, and he is righteous. And he doesn't change. He doesn't change. His righteousness is there for us. It's that something we can see and experience and trust and know that he's right. When he makes a decision in our lives and things that he does for us, he's righteous. We can trust him for it. We can lean into him and recognize his sovereignty. Verse four, he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. I love that. That means the things that he's done, he's done them so that we can remember them. One of the Bible commentators I I read, he wrote about this. I forget who it was, but he said, the highest The highest, uh, thing that our human mind can attain to in terms of our memory and the capacity that we have to remember is remembering God's works and what he's done. Because again, it's all in our relationship to him, but he's made these things to be remembered because he wants himself to be known. You know, uh, we were talking in the men's uh, fellowship on Monday night. Um, and, uh, I was remembering, uh, that famous atheist Richard Dawkins, and we were talking about unbelief and how, for some out there, because of you know their hatred towards God and and the the reality of the ramifications of accepting and believing that God exists, uh, are such that they can't accept any evidence that's out there. But Richard Dawkins, he he was being interviewed, and he has in essence said, even if God wrote in the sky. Richard, believe in me. I would not believe, even if he uh, 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 brought me to heaven uh, when I died, and I stood before the gates of heaven, and Peter was there. You know the whole Catholic thing. Um, that that I would think I was hallucinating. It, it was this complete uh, disregard for the evidence and for the things. Uh, uh, that can be seen, uh, but he, he has made all of these things, God has made all of these things so that we can be, he can be remembered. We can recognize who he is. It's declared throughout all of creation. It's declared in his scriptures. It's declared uh, in our own lives of who he is and who his character is. That's why Romans talks about that all men are without excuse because the work of God is written on every man's heart that what can be seen in uh, nature and known of God is evident clearly from the very beginning, that there is a sovereign creator overall. Uh, some of the old scientists who were believers, they would put on their buildings that they built and their, their uh, you know universities and colleges and associations for science, they would put verses like, this, the works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them on their, their buildings as a motto for what they were doing and studying him and his works and what he's done. That was what, that's what science, modern science, was born out of, was a recognition that God is sovereign, created everything, and we can learn and know more about God by studying the world around us because it's his works. That's what the scriptures say, how far we've fallen now, right? Man says, nah, it says there is no God because of what we see, when it's really like Romans says, their hearts have been dark and their minds are futile, right, their thoughts. And, and and that's the difference that that has changed because they weren't thankful to the Lord, right? That That's what we see in Romans. But here, we have so much to be thankful for as we look around. We see his beauty and what he's done, even in the fallen world that we live in. All these things we can see the works that he's done, and they're made to be remembered. They're his wonderful works. And here's what, they, what we remember about them. Look at verse four, the, the second part. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. That's what his works declare, his grace and his compassion. His grace and his compassion. That word gracious in the scriptures, it only ever refers to the Lord. And it's that he's merciful. Every time you read that word in the Hebrew the Hebrew word, it's used there's a gracious is used for a few different Hebrew words, but this one specifically is only used for him. And it refers to his mercy. Psalm eighty-six, five, it says, For you, Lord, are good, ready to forgive, and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. That's his character and his nature. As I was studying by this, I was Struck by this and remembering uh, in Exodus, so if you turn with me over to Exodus thirty-four, we've been reading. If you notice at the beginning of this psalm and all throughout this, and I'm sure you know just from reading your Bible, uh, the word Lord in there is all capitals in the scriptures. When you see that in your Bible, if your Bible does that, that's God's name. the The tetragrammaton is that that. Um, uh, Exodus 34, the tetragrammaton is is the four letters. They don't have vowels. Um, they The pronunciation was lost a long time ago. We think it's close to what we say, Yahweh. Um, we know it's at least Yah because we see Hallelujah, and that's a shortened form of that. But either way, what that is saying is that's that's God's name. That's who he is. It means the I am, the becoming one. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. That's who he is. That's his name. We don't know how to pronounce it, but he declares who he is in in Exodus 34. Um, the background to this, uh, Exodus 33, uh, Moses had met with the Lord. You know, this is after he had received the, the commandments on the tablets of stone. Then the people of Israel rebelled, created the golden calf, right? And Moses comes down out of the mountain with the law, smashes it, grinds up the calf into powder, and then makes them drink it, that whole thing. After that, he's meeting with the Lord now in in the tent of meeting outside the camp. And he's saying, Lord, I'm not going to go to the promised land, I'm not gonna go on unless you continue to go with us. He's really pleading for the Lord not to forsake them because of their rebellion. And the Lord says, I'll I'll do this for you. And Moses asks, Lord, show me your glory, right? That's what he says, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord in essence says, well, you can't see all of me because we know from the scriptures, no one can see God and live right? We can't stand in his presence. And so the Lord says, well, there's this cleft in the rock. Go there, bring these tablets of stone. I'll put my hand over that. I'll allow my my whole goodness to pass before you. And then I'll let you see the, the afterglow, the tail end of my glory, and let you see that. So there's this whole thing. And we, we understand that. We know it. If you've read the scriptures, you know the whole story about that. Moses' face glowed after all of that and everything. Um, but sometimes we miss w- the most important thing that took place there because this is the first time that we see declared in the scriptures the Lord just saying, this is my name. This is, he declares his character to Moses. It's not just this thing that happened where Moses got to experience the goodness of God, see his glory, and, and you know, glow with it afterwards, and then come down with the, the law. No, the Lord said, this is my nature, my character, and proclaimed it to Moses. So look at verse 5. It says, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Stood with Moses. Imagine that. And proclaimed the name of the Lord, or Yahweh. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Listen to that. The Lord, I am the Lord God. I am God, merciful and gracious. Merciful is compassionate. It's it's a parent to a baby. I'm gonna take care of you. Uh, It doesn't matter what you do. I love you. I'm gonna I'm gonna raise you. I'm gonna tend to you. When you fall, I'm gonna pick you up. When you're hungry, I'm gonna feed you. When you need clothing, I'm gonna put it on you. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna change your diaper. I'm gonna all of these things. That's that idea of compassion. He's merciful. It's his character. His nature. Merciful and gracious, full of grace, full of grace. That's his nature, gracious God. God who bestows favor that we don't deserve, and he's full of it, abounding in it, abundantly. It says long-suffering. That word long-suffering is slow to anger. It means God doesn't snap like that and say, that's it, you've had it. I can't believe you did that, you're done. God doesn't do that. He's long-suffering. He loves us. It's his nature, his character, who he is. Long-suffering, slow to anger. It says he's abundant or abounding in goodness and truth. That word goodness is chesed. If you guys remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about it. It's the Old Testament version of grace, God's unmerited favor. His mercy, his grace, his kindness. He's abundant in it. It's heaps and heaps of his mercy and his grace that he has. Never ending. There's no lack to him in his mercy, in his goodness. As says, abounding in his truth. That word truth means faithfulness. You can trust him. Doesn't end. He's faithful. There's nothing about him that's wavering, that will change, that we can't trust. His very character He's faithful. He's abounding in truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. That means to keep, to preserve, to maintain that mercy, that unmerited favor for thousands. And it doesn't just mean there's, you know, 2,000 that he has or 144,000 as the Jehovah's Witnesses say. It's not that. It's innumerable amounts. You can't count it. That's He keeps that. And maintains that, preserves that mercy for that innumerable number of people. It's there for all of us. This is his character. Forgiving iniquity. That word iniquity is evil. Wickedness. Evil. Just simply that. Perversity. He forgives it. Transgression. He forgives that. That's rebellion. That's willfully doing what's wrong when you know what's what you shouldn't do or what's right to do he forgives that and if you pass on those two things he says he forgives sin too which is just an offense or uh, missing the mark doing something you didn't know was wrong but it's wrong that's the lord his character his nature that's who he is who he declares psalm 111 like says the lord is gracious full of compassion. His nature, his character, as we praise him, as we recognize him, it's this. This is who he is. You might have questions about that. Last part says, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And he's a God of justice. He's a God who's righteous. We see that. We study that. We look at that. But Thankfully, we have Deuteronomy chapter 5 in verse 9. He clarifies this. It's not just he doesn't clear the guilty, oh man, I've sinned and God's not going to clear me anymore. That would be a contradiction of his character and nature just up above. Does that mean every time my dad sinned now, I'm going to suffer the penalty for his sin? No. It says... In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, a little bit down into the verse, it says, For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He says, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations. But look at what it says, of those who hate me. That should cause us to stop and say, do I hate the Lord? you say in your heart, if you're a believer and you look at him, do you say, no, I don't hate the Lord. I love him, right? My love may not be perfect, but I don't hate the Lord. If you don't hate the Lord, you have access to that forgiveness. If you say in your heart, yeah, I do hate God, then you can repent and turn away from that and receive the forgiveness But we also have later on in the scriptures, the Lord dealing with that where he talks about no longer will the children suffer the sins of the father. Right. Talks about that later on. Um, And through the grace of the Lord and and his works in Jesus Christ, uh, there's freedom from those effects and all of those things that come down because of the sins of the fathers and all of those things. Because, again, it goes back to his very character and nature. He keeps mercy for thousands. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. His very character, his nature. Go back to Psalm 111. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food to those who fear him. To those who fear him, reverence him, are in awe of him. And it literally says, gives prey or meat to those who, who fear him. What are the two meals that we see in the scriptures that represent his covenant and his promises that are meant to be remembered? We have Passover and we have the Lord's Supper, right? Those two meals that we have that are in this. He's given food to those. Now he does he provides for us that we we see that in the scriptures again in the New Testament. Jesus talks about not worrying about our food. Right? He, he talks about the birds who don't toil, and yet the Lord gives them food. And he says, Don't worry, don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about those things. I'll provide for you. The, the Heavenly Father knows what we have need of. He's given food to us. But it, there's this tie here in this verse He's given food to those who fear Him. He will be ever mindful of His covenant. It's that recognition. The Passover. It was a remembrance for the people of Israel. The Lord saved us from bondage. We were slaves in Egypt. We were lost. We were in a land of, of foreign gods. We were being oppressed. We were being forced into labor. We had no, no life of our own. And the Lord came in and redeemed us. And that meal was a remembrance of that. And of course, we know the Passover pointed forward to Christ. And, and pointed to that last supper where, where Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Take, eat, and as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Those things, those meals, those things are meant to, to remind us of his faithfulness, of what he's done. Even just our simple meals that we have every day. That's why You know, honestly, I think we've kind of gotten away from it a lot, but but it was a thing for everyone at every meal, all the time. Say grace over the meal, right? Pray, thank the Lord for it. Remember what He's done. We need to get back to that understanding and that remembrance. That every time, it doesn't matter if it's nasty food from McDonald's. No offense to Ethan who works there, um, but you know, but the Lord provides those things for us, right? And we're thankful for those little things, but also a recognition of just, just his faithfulness. It says he will be ever mindful of his covenant. He doesn't forget. For the Israelites, his covenants with them, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his covenant with the, the people of Israel. He, is, he doesn't forget. He doesn't change. He's always has that on his mind. The covenant with us, the new covenant with the blood of Christ. He doesn't forget that. It's not that that the Lord all of a sudden you know, says, Okay, I'm done with you because you slipped up. Now you've sinned. Even all of these things, the Lord is mindful of his covenant because of Jesus. Because of his character and his nature. That we can trust him. That's assurance of our salvation. And assurance of forgiveness of sin. Again, because of his character, his nature, who he is. He will be ever mindful of his covenant. Verse 6, it says, he has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. He has declared to his people. That word declared means to place something in a conspicuous position. To make it clear and known or to manifest. So it says, in giving the people of Israel their heritage in the land of Israel, he declared to them his power. That word power is omnipotence. It's his unstoppable, no limits power. And the Lord says that that work that he did for Israel, that heritage of the nations... Declares his his omnipotence, his unending power. The heritage, that everlasting covenant that he has with his people, we get to take part in that. Remember the scriptures say that that we who believe will 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 sit on thrones and judge with him. Right, if we've placed our faith in him, we we will be uh, kings and priests with him. Right? We'll have that, the heritage of the nations. For Israel, they have that land. And for us, it's in all through Jesus in Him. And ultimately, for Israel, it will be in the last days as the Son of David finally sits on the literal throne of David in the kingdom of Israel, right? In His land, the heritage of the nations. He's declared to His people, He's made manifest His power. It's beautiful. The works of his hands, verse 7, are verity and justice. That word verity is faithfulness. Verity and justice. Truth, faithfulness. Certain and dependable. And, and it speaks of uh, this verity is his faithfulness is something that is declaring the means by which we can know him. So basically it's saying we can trust the Lord we can see in the works that he's done, the things that he's done, his faithfulness. And because of what we see in these works, it declares his character again and his nature. We can know him by these things that he's done. The works of his hands are verity and justice. And that word uh, justice is, is rightness. It's just that. It's, it's being just. His, his justice. He is right and righteous And again, it's rooted in his character that points to him. All his precepts are sure. Precepts is the responsibilities that God places on his people. The Lord places responsibilities on us. Again, he calls us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. To love him, to keep his commandments, to be obedient to him, to follow him. He's called us to that. All of his precepts are sure. They don't change. It's not that we say, okay, I'm following the Lord, but there's no effect in it. Or, you know, that we can't trust that what he's promised to those who are obedient to him, that we're not going to receive those things. But if we're obedient to him, if we're following his precepts, if we're, if, we're, if we're being obedient to those responsibilities that he's given us, then what he's promised are, is sure to us. Again, because of his character, because of his nature, they will bear fruit in our lives as we're being faithful to the things that he's called us to. All his precepts are sure. It's also a a a synonym for the scriptures, for the law, for the word of God. His precepts—that's where we get and we understand what our responsibilities are as Christians. Right? Is in the word of God, and they're sure, they don't change. Verse eight says they stand fast forever and ever. Matthew five eighteen, uh, Jesus says, um, "Till heaven and earth." pass away, not one jot or tittle will pass away from the law until everything is fulfilled. It's not going to change. It's not going to pass away. In fact, the Lord says that he, 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 I thought I wrote it down here so I don't butcher it, but he says that he, uh, he values his word. He's magnified his word. That's how it goes. He's magnified his word above his name. Right in the Psalms it says that. Uh, Psalm 138. His word stands forever because his word again declares his nature, declares his name, declares his greatness. It's what he's given to us to know him. They stand fast for forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. We keep getting this, this repeating pattern, this truth, this uprightness, this verity, his righteousness. He's faithful and true, faithful and true. And here's the outcome of all of it. We see all of his past work, all the things that he's done, all of that. And then we see the greatest work in verse nine. He has sent his redemption, a redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. He sent redemption to his people. Uh, Zacharias, uh, John the Baptist's father uh, quoted this as he was prophesying after his mouth was opened when when uh, John was being named, and he was declaring what the angel had spoken to him. Uh, in Luke 168, he says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That's Jesus. He has sent redemption. For the Jews at the time, they were looking back to Egypt. For the Jews, after uh, the captivity in Babylon, they were looking back at the Lord, bringing them back to their land. For the Jews uh, who've placed their faith in Christ, they're looking at him. See, he's our Messiah. He's truly redeemed us. And then for the Jews in that millennial kingdom, when Jesus comes back, they're going to say he set us free from the world kingdom, from Antichrist, from all of that, from our bondage to the law flesh, sin, all of those things. He has sent redemption or ransom. He's paid a price for us. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. You know, people, they talk about Israel, how that covenant that the Lord had made with them for the land is broken. But what does it say here? He's commanded his covenant forever. He commanded it. If the Lord commanded it, it's going to happen. It's going to take place and it will stand forever. It's not going to change because it's his command. Holy and awesome is his name, worthy of fear, his nature, his character. Set apart is that word holy. It doesn't mean wholeness. It means set apart, sacred, different, apart. His very character, he's outside of time. He's outside of our understanding. He's outside of any box we put him into. He's outside of our own ideas of righteousness, of fairness, of of love and justice. He's outside of all of those things. And yet he's given us glimpses of him in in his word and more fully in Jesus and who he is. That's what we see in the New Testament. John 1.16, it says that uh, of his fullness, speaking of Jesus' fullness, we have all received, and grace for grace. Elsewhere in the scriptures, it says that, that it pleased the Lord that, in, that all the fullness of the Godhead bodily should dwell in Jesus. That, that all that we read in Exodus 34, all that we see of the Lord's faithfulness throughout the scriptures dwells in Jesus and who he is. And the beautiful thing that John declares there in John 1:16 is that of that fullness we've received his goodness, his character, his nature. Those things that we read about, his mercy, his compassion, his grace, his long-suffering, being slow to anger, his forgiveness, his mercy that he keeps for thousands, all of that we've received through Jesus. Of his fullness we have all received, and it says, and grace for grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Abounding in grace. That's what we've received when we place our faith in him. Because of his character and his nature. And then it goes down and says, okay, here's the application. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear. Fearing him. Once you know God, you know what he's done for you, the work that he's done, and you can't help but say, thank you, Lord. Lord, forgive me. For all the times I fall short, forgive me for my wrong attitudes, for my sin, for all of these things. Forgive me for uh, how I've treated my family. Forgive me for all these things. This fear, and it's a fear because of his character, his holiness, his righteousness, and a fear, a reverence for him because just the, the, the weight of his compassion and love towards us and on us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the foundation of wisdom, right living. That's what that speaks of. Wisdom, practical, common sense, gives us success is what that word speaks of. Prudence, doing the right thing at the right time. That's the beginning of that is that fear of the Lord saying, Lord, you've done all these things for me. How can I do anything but be obedient to you? Lord, please help me to do the right thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Job 28, verse 28 says, Into man, he said, if you, do, if you want some good reading tonight, read Job 28. It goes with this very well. I love it. It's beautiful. Um, you know, Job's a book of poetry, and, and it all it goes all about wisdom and this search for wisdom. At the very end, it says, Into man, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. That's, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. You want to know what's right to do. You want to understand the world around you. Fear God and depart from evil. That's it. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. A good understanding. We can have that intelligent knowledge of the reason why we're doing things that's what it means that good understanding an intelligent knowledge of why we're living do you dig into the word of God and you say Lord I want to know why we're to believe these things I want to know why I should do this or I shouldn't do that I want to know why you had to suffer on the cross I want to know why all of these things starts with the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom and in that, following him and being obedient to him, then we begin to know why we should do those things. It's like the child. The parent says, don't touch that stove. It's going to burn you. Don't touch that stove. When they're young, they fear you as a parent, and they fear you slapping their hand, pulling them off, putting them in timeout, grounding them, all those things that we do as parents for discipline for our children. But as they get older then they begin to have a good understanding. As they learn, they realize, oh, that stove's hot. I'm going to get burnt. And then that, that doing what's right and obedience is internalized and becomes a, 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 an understanding of why I shouldn't be doing those things. A good understanding of all those who do his commandments. And his praise endures forever because of who he is. We love and know an awesome God. Worthy of our respect, worthy of our fear, worthy of studying all of his works, worthy of praising him. We need to recognize his character and his nature. If you want a really good and and great study on this, um, look up Gail Irwin, the father style. Um, He talks a lot about uh, uh, Exodus 34 and some of these things that he's talking about in there. But uh, it's just easy, simple to understand. You get the book. He's got a book called The Father Style and another one, The Jesus Style that he talks about too. But um, we need to recognize that this is our God, who we serve. We need to have a right perspective and understanding of who he is. Uh, We need to know he's not a God who's just this... God ready to strike us down when we sin. He's not this God who's hanging our past over our heads. He's not a God who is just this constantly angry God. What we see in Jesus of his his kindness, his compassion, his grace, Jesus is those things because his father is those things. That's who God is. And then Uh, It's his name, his nature. And if we as Christians claim the name of Christ, claim the name of the Lord, and we say, I'm following him, then we need to be those things as well. We have a responsibility to rightly represent him, to, to not go against that God is merciful and compassionate, that he's full of grace, that he's slow to anger, that he's merciful, abounding in that. He's faithful, abounding in faithfulness, can be trusted. He keeps mercy for thousands. He forgives evil, perversity, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He forgives those things. That's his nature, and that's the nature that we've received in Christ and that we're called to demonstrate to the people around us by the work of the Lord, obedience to him, and the ministry of the spirit in our lives if we yield to him and we walk with him. And that's the high calling that we're called to. If we're, if we're wrongly representing the Lord, we're like Moses, right? In the wilderness, he was called to speak to the rock that he had struck before. So water would come out in the wilderness to water, give water to the people. And rather than speaking to the rock like the Lord said, he struck it out of anger towards the people for complaining, but the Lord said, just speak to it. And because he struck it, he represented that the Lord was angry with his people when the Lord wasn't. And there, because of that, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. Remember that? It's not the same exactly for us, and yet we have that same responsibility, that calling, right? Is that we need to represent the Lord rightly. The Lord is all of these things, it's the fruit of the Spirit, really, right? All the things that that, uh, Galatians talks about being the fruit of the Spirit, it's just a demonstration of God's character and nature. And it's because all that the Father is is all that the Son is is all that the Spirit is. And we have the Spirit dwelling in us as believers. And then as we yield to Him and allow Him to work in our lives, He shows His character and nature in us and through us and it's by him and his power. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for who you are, what you've done for us, Lord. I pray if we're living in this place of condemnation or this wrong attitude or idea about who you are, Lord, that we would get back and rightly understand your character and your nature, Lord. I pray that we would uh, be a people who, recognize and praise you for who you are lord that we we would be just uh, in awe of your work for us your redemption your forgiveness lord the salvation you've given us we ask this in your name amen, amen. thank you yeah.